On this episode of Building Men, creator of the GoBundance Emerge Course and Ascend Mastermind Program, multifamily investor, spinuendo comedian, who has a voice that is smooth like butter, my man, Jamie Gruber. Welcome to the Building Men Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Meralda. Last time you focused on self-care and the holistic health of your body. GM Revolution is a men's skincare line with a mission to introduce men to proper skin health. GM Revolution offers five skincare products that act as one to give men exactly what their skin needs. Whether you struggle with acne or you're looking to prevent fine lines, GM Revolution works hard to strengthen your body's largest organ, the skin to fight as your body's first line of defense against your environment. Using code BUILDINGMEN, one word, you can save 15% on all of GM Revolution's products and start seeing the physical and mental benefits of skin care. GM Revolution encourages you to be the revolution in your own life. Now, back to the Building Men podcast. Welcome everyone to the Building Men podcast. My name is Dennis Meralda. Building Men is geared toward helping you become the strongest version of yourself. Mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, I am honored today to be joined by Jamie Gruber. Jamie is a multifamily investor. He's an entrepreneur. He is a community builder. One of the, the most interesting men I've had the opportunity to listen to on different podcasts. I'm really excited. I just met him about 10 minutes ago, and I'm excited to uh, to get to know, know him a little deeper over the next hour. Jamie, welcome to the Building Men podcast, my man. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm, I love the, I love the idea of it. I love the building men brand. It's really cool. So it's an honor to be here. Oh, my pleasure. I'm glad you were able to come. And you, listen, your voice is just—you have a. Uh, I one of the podcasts you mentioned about wanting to be like the Bob Costas, yeah. the sportscaster. I that connected. I connected with that story when I was little, really young. I mean, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be uh, an announcer. I wanted to like announce, you know, on WPIX. I wanted to announce the Yankee games with Phil Rizzuto and Frank White. 100%. That was my goal. So you have, you have the voice for it now, but yeah, no, I appreciate that. Yeah. It's funny. I, I got so into it that I became a, a pen pal with Bob Costas for like three, four years back and forth. We would write letters and all that, but all for not, 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 not the path that I was meant to pursue. But I mean, you're taking that voice and you're going to make, uh, you're going to make millions with that voice in some way, shape or form. I just, I have no doubt there. Thank you. Thank you. So I listened to a couple of the podcasts that you were on. One was on um, December 20th of 2019 on the Go Bundance podcast. Yeah. And then I was able to to kind of find your story when you were on Men on Purpose with Ian Lobos. And I mentioned before to you, uh, as we were getting to know each other, that just the difference in your two interviews was really striking to me. And one thing that resonated with me in your story was you spoke about there were two specific instances in your life that you were on the road, you were driving from one location to another, you had a pretty decent you know, trip from one spot to another, and they were at these crossroads in your life, both uh, both of these drives, and you were listening to music, and you were just kind of, you know, going in turn, like going inside, trying to figure out what your next move was. So, if you could maybe start w- with one of those two drives that you were going on, I'm a big, you know, uh, fan of those like ceremonial type moments where you make some big shift in your life. So, start there and kind of, you know, lead us up to to how you got to one of those points. Yeah, for sure. It's funny. You're right. You know, as I track back, there's when I finally let myself be alone, when I finally let my mind quiet down and these drives allow for that, they kind of force me into that. There's only so much you can do on a long 10, 15, 20 hour drive. Those are the moments that seem to lead to, you know, transformation in my life. So the more recent one would be, so we're right now in June, almost June of 2021. Um, this would have been in February, or actually late January of 2021. So four or five months ago, I was driving to Florida. My wife, kids, and I decided to go to Florida for the month of February. And I was, I drove, I had, you know, toys, I had all this stuff in the back. My wife and kids flew down a few days later. And my wife, thank God bless her, gave me an extra day alone down there. Like I'll fly one extra day later, just so once you get there, you've got a moment to kind of just be, but I really didn't need it. The drive was enough. And over the course of two days, I'm driving from Michigan to Florida. Yeah, there, you know, yeah, sure. I had a couple phone calls. I interact with some people, listen to some stuff or whatever the case may be. But for me, it was just a matter of, okay, I, I'm alone. My mind is alone. And I really started to think and reflect on my life and where I am and what I want and what I've done. And at that point, 
uh, just tracking back a few years prior, I had had a kind of a breakthrough that you know, the job I had while it was financially rewarding, while it was a good job, great company, nothing wrong with it. I was so unfulfilled by it. And I started to pursue other things kind of on the side, kind of as a side hustle, like buying real estate, like building a community around real estate, and then later joining a community like Abundance and then partnering with them to build some courses and masterminds, <clears throat> excuse me, that, uh, that serve folks that aren't yet maybe able to qualify for the GoBundance communities. I, I, I'd done all of that. So all of that is sort of happening on the side. Then I have my family, of course, and I have my day job, which is paying the bills for the most part. But on this drive, it was just sort of like, all right, I, I got all these things going on. I, I, I feel full fulfillment on the side hustle stuff. Of course, I love my family. And then I've got my day job, but all of it is too much. So I've got to, I got to put something down. Ain't going to be my family. That's kind of a given. Um, the side hustle stuff, like to kill it at this point, just felt like, well, what do I do? I sell all my property? Do I get out of, you know, building these communities, which make me feel completely on purpose just to make money? Or is it time to kill the money? So on that drive, you know, I really just start, started to kind of reflect down and get to this point of like, all right, well, what is, what do I need? Like if I were to just to have my home and, and to function. So like I, I thought my, this was in my brain, like my mortgage, you know, my car, my insurance, my heat, my electric, my Wi-Fi, and my phone, right? That allows me to function, right? That's not food. That's not health insurance. Not th that's not school tuition because we send our kids, kids to uh, 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 an acting academy. That's not any of that stuff. It's just simply like to, to have my house and function in my home. And I'm like, it's, it's 3,400 bucks a month. Like, it's not bad. I mean, it, you know, my income had been in the 350 range. So 3,400 bucks a month was pretty pretty reasonable, pretty marginal, I guess you could say for that income level. So I lived, I lived fairly well below my means. I mean, we would spend it on a bunch of other, you know, vacations and all that stuff. But the base of what I needed was only 3,400 bucks. So that was kind of thought one, as I'm, like you said, just sort of listening to music. I don't exactly remember what I was listening to on that drive. I had another drive. I'll explain where I had yeah. one song just going yeah. over and over and over again, but that was, 30, it was th okay. So it's 3,400 bucks. And then and then uh, I rounded it up like, all right, four grand. I'm sure I'm forgetting something. So four grand a month just to kind of have uh, my existence. Then I got to figure out how to make more like I can make four grand a month. I make four grand a month with my, you know, with real estate, I'm taking in close enough. And then when it comes to other ways for me to like lean into the stuff that I'm doing on the side and really build it without the day job distracting me, like, man, I can build that. Plus I got some money on the side and you know, so all of that was kind of going through my head and I, I got down to like halfway through Florida. I was driving to South Florida and I had pretty much made this decision. Like, you know what? I'm walking away from my day job. I'm going to walk away from 300 plus thousand dollar a year income. I'm walking away from the equity that was invested that I, that I, that I uh, hadn't vested yet. A few hundred thousand in equity. You know, the bonuses were pretty big. All of that stuff. I'm just going to walk away from it all. And then I got a call from a guy in, um, in New England, in Boston, where I used to work with the same company. And he's like, hey, man, I just wanted to let you know, um, Paul died. It means nothing to you. But Paul was a 50-year-old father of two, great, great guy. He would, you know, go skiing. He was adventurous, outdoorsy kind of guy. Like, it was basic, you know, looked like me, you know, just a, in decent health. He wasn't like Mr. Fitness of the Year, but certainly, you know, he was just a, he was a, a, a healthy, in-shape, 50-year-old, nice guy. Went home one night with uh, some heart pain or some chest pain, went to the hospital and uh, just never came out. Right. So he literally died at 50 years old. I'm 42. That's not that far away. And that was kind of like as my mind was was closing the gap on, OK, I'm ready to do this. I think I'm ready to do this. That just like slammed the door shut. Mm -hmm. Time to go. Time to walk away. Uh, you live once. You truly do. And really, it, it comes down to for me. I know at 30 and 25 and other ages that are much younger than where I am right now, I didn't do certain things because I was 30 or because I was 25 or whatever, right? Like we probably all had that. Like, oh, I can't, I can't just go do this. I mean, I'm a 30 year old guy. I mean, whatever it is, you want to be an actor. You want to go to Hollywood. Like, well, I can't just give up, you know, what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm 30 eh? and I can't just go to Hollywood and become an actor. Nobody does that. You have to be 20 or 22 for that. But at 40 or 42, I look at 30, like, what are you kidding me? Like what? 30 is childhood still, right? And 42 is childhood in some ways, right? You're still so young. You have so much life to live still. Like, why wouldn't you do that at 30? So if I'm thinking that now about my 30-year-old self, what does 85-year-old Jamie say about 42-year-old Jamie, right? So you have to kind of project out, or at least I did, to the future version of me and what he would say about my circumstance today. Would he say, man, I wish you would have just played it safe, just grinded it out for another 15, 20 years, 
that's what you should have done. Why didn't you just do that? Or would he say, why did you take a shot on yourself? What, what could happen? Get a job if you need one, right? If, and maybe I will, who knows? Go get a job. You, you're employable. Um, you know, take a chance, take a shot, see what happens, right? Like, I, I wish you would have taken that shot on you. No doubt. I know without knowing the 85-year-old version of me, that 85-year-old me would say that, not why didn't you stay safe? So those things together, that drive led to that epiphany, really. And just, I think just generally speaking, that actually, <laughs> that drive cemented, my wife and I uh, now do quarterly um, uh, solo weekends. So every quarter we've got it scheduled out. She goes away wherever it is, like, you know, locally, or she can take a flight if she wants for just a two, three day weekend by herself in a hotel room. So she can clear her head. And I do the same. In fact, the last one I did was about a, a mile and a half away to Hampton Inn right here. I just rented a Hampton Inn. I stayed there for a weekend and just decompressed. I read, I meditated. I, I just was alone and allowed my, my brain to process through some things that uh, maybe I wasn't able to previously. So yeah, that that's the, that's the story of me with the drives. Like that was one of two times, especially that, uh, that it really hit me. So, so I'll lead up to that first drive then. So you, I listened on one of the podcasts. You grew up on the East coast. Mm-hmm. Was it New York in, in New York area? You grew up New York and then Boston. Yeah. I grew up okay. mostly in New York and then moved to Boston later. Yep. Okay. So growing up, you also, it was kind of a transient childhood. You moved yeah. around to four or five different schools during that time. And one thing that I would imagine, you know, having to quickly go into a school, I mean, over a 12 year, 13 year career in education, you know, um, going through, you know, whatever school system, um, you have to quickly come in and try to establish yourself in a specific way. You know, there's a lot of social cliques that exist. And myself as a, as a previous administrator, I know how challenging that could be for a new student to come in. So what lessons did you learn um, in that journey in education, your own education, going from school to school that served you in your future? I think the biggest lesson jumping around was just simply that, you know, building networks, who you know, getting to know other people uh, uh, in an effective way uh, uh, is is. It, it ultimately serves you. It kind of comes down to who you know, not what you know, and that that became kind of a it's funny when you said serve me, it's like I, I, I reflect back more on school on the things that shaped me. I can't say that always served me, but they end up serving you. Ah, boy, that was confusing. Let me try it this way. So <laughs> so here's what I learned in school. In order to in order to, um, you know, win likes and friends and all of that stuff and be left alone, not be bullied, all of that. You've got to I had to not maybe be my authentic self at all times. I had to maybe cater to others to make sure that they liked me so that I could not be um, target. you know, targeted. Exactly. Um, that said, that also taught me in a weird way, the value of giving first, right? Because I, I just sort of, I, I would I would give, you know, whatever it is, I'd help somebody with their homework or I'd, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd give them something that I had that, yeah, here, take it, it's yours now or whatever. And at the time, I would say it was probably just you know me wanting to be liked or whatever the case may be, but it always felt good. It always felt right. So the, what, what I learned essentially in the negative initially was I've got to be liked before anything else. So you know, play that role. Whoever they need me to be, play that role. And that I think, that, I think hurt me over the course of my life. And I'll explain that here in a minute as I quit my job. Um, but what, what served me uh, on that was the idea that, you know, I, I am a giving individual and it's not weakness. It's truly probably the greatest thing you can be. It's the best way to build networks and build community and get to know people uh, if you're doing so without it being transactional. Like, you know, there's this, there's this book I'm reading right now, actually, it's called Give and Take. And they, they categorize you as a giver, a taker or a matcher, somebody who says, I'll give, but I really expect that return. Um, you know, if you're a giver, and I truly believe that I am in most circumstances, uh, I learned the value of that, the power of that. While, while, yeah, it was maybe a little bit defense of, of a like a defense for me, not, you know, not to be not to be targeted, like you said. Um, it still always felt right for me, and and I learned the value of that in building relationships, most of which were fruitful. So, yeah, I'll pause there for a moment, but I do, I, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> it resonates with me in a level that trying to, it's almost like this chameleon persona. I went through it um, on my own journey in education. One of the reasons I became an educator was because in my middle school career, I was targeted. I was bullied. Um, I made the baseball team as a sixth grade student and three eighth graders who I was friendly with that they lived in my neighborhood. We would play sports all the time, got cut. 
And they saw me as the reason why that they didn't make the team. And so initially it started as them, you know, picking on me, throwing things at me on the bus, making fun of me, like kind of excluding me from different things. Then it became more physical in nature where they would trip me, they'd push me. And then it became where I got my ass kicked. I got jumped a couple times. And I still remember thinking I could go back to my 12 year old self. And, and I remember thinking, what did I do wrong? What could I do different? How can I change to make them like me so I don't have to go through this? And that set me on this course in life where I wanted to make people happy and please people. So I wasn't the target of whatever it was. So I shied away from a lot of confrontational situations all the way through my adult life into, you know, my previous marriage and my professional career. But what I started to realize was I couldn't live like that anymore. I needed to, me, whoever I am, figure out that who that is first and then show up in that way. And if people don't like that, that's on them. That is their decision whether or not they want to enjoy listening to me. And if they don't, I'm totally comfortable with that that now. So that resonated with me, like trying to get to a, a point where people like you in a way where you can kind of hide behind a, you know, a little bit where you don't want to, you know, make waves and just kind of like, all right, I'll, I'll kind of like flow into the situation. Yeah, I think the journey of personal development generally starts with kind of illumination, right? It's 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 being aware, it's being present and aware. Like you know, the I, that's what they, they, I love about you know tactics like meditation and other things that make you sort of force you to kind of at least have a have an awareness of saying, okay, let me just let me let me figure out what's happening right now for me, right? Like go inside and internal and know what's happening in the moment, and even be present in the great moments, right? With my kids at certain moments, like okay, be here right now. This is a cool moment, right? So presence and being aware is a big piece of like that personal development journey Mm -hmm. that I've been on the last four or five years. And it culminated really, I mean, even in the moment that I left my job. So, you know, again, I'm at this company 21 years. I've been in in this particular location in Michigan with this particular job for, or I was for a little over four years. And um, on the day that I was resigning, Leading up to it, it was funny. I was, I was good. I was good. I was good. I was good. Like it just felt like I had made this decision on that drive. I spent that month in Florida, and I was, I was good, man. I felt like it. There was, I was amazed at how, how at peace I was with this. And my wife was fine with it. She's always supportive. She's probably overly supportive sometimes. Just like, yeah, whatever. We'll figure it out. You know, like flippantly supportive. So, so she. Um, as we got closer though, you know, I don't know, I was going to resign on a Friday. I was going to submit my resignation on a Friday and like Monday and Tuesday, I was cool. I was fine. I was, you know, like if Friday's coming, I'm going to do this Wednesday though. Like, you know, the brain started going like, Ooh, okay. You sure you're ready to do this? Yeah. And I wanted to, I wanted a conversation with my wife, but she was just like, yeah, we're, we're doing it. Right. Like, so what's the big deal? Like I, I needed her to go deep on this with me. She just wasn't doing it. So like Wednesday, that's way Thursday. I'm just like kind of stewing, like, am I doing the right thing? And then finally that night we had a good chat we talked in depth and she just reassured me that it wasn't just her being flippant, that there was a lot of thought to this. She had faith and all of that stuff. So Friday morning, I woke up, I was cool. Like 6 a.m. I got up or 5.30, whatever it was. And I went to the gym and I remember being at the gym, like, I'm ready to do this, man. No big deal. Right. So I come back to my home office because, you know, in COVID, we're all working from home and I was going to send my boss a message uh, at 8 a.m. And I saw like, she's not available at 8 a.m. And I, I remember thinking like, yeah, that's, that's okay. That's good. That's right. Like the nerves yeah. came back, like <laughs> I'll do it a little later. Yeah. Right. So um, whatever, like 9 a.m. comes around and 10 and right around 10, I'm, I, you know, I, I was like, this is probably the right time, but maybe, maybe uh, just go get something to eat quick and then come back. Like I was looking for any reason not to send uh, a message to her. She sends a message. Hey, I'm going to be out this afternoon. I'm like, oh, I got it. I got to do it now. So I type up, you know, in like a like a Teams chat or a Skype chat, I type up, hey, just need to talk to you real quick about something. And I went to hit enter. And when I went to hit enter, my finger just stopped. Like it hovered like six inches over that enter key. I just couldn't, I couldn't push the button. It was like my, there was a, there was something there. There was like an invisible force field holding me from hitting that enter button to send this message to say, Hey, I just need to talk to you. It it was, I got, I got like sweaty and my hands are shaking and I'm just standing there with like this shaky hand hovering over the return key. And I just sort of, I, I, I sat back and I closed my eyes for a second, that presence, that moment of yeah. like, all right, w- what's going on here, right? And I teach this in our courses around kind of going deep down to the root, right? You can hack away at branch or trunk issues, but you've got to get to the root of the issue. So I was like, all right, well, why? Why are you nervous about hitting this button? And I was like, okay, because you're you're afraid of, of what, you know, her judgment or what her thoughts are going to be on the other end. It's like, okay, well, why? Why, why am I afraid of that judgment, right? I was like, all right, well, because, because you, 
you have always wanted to please people. It's like, okay, well, why, why do you want to please people? And I just kept doing this. Like, why, 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 why? And in that moment, literally, I mean, it's ridiculous. I'm sitting there with my eyes closed and my hand hovering over an enter key while I'm asking myself these why questions down to like five, six, seven of them. And it came down to, I was bullied in fourth grade. And ever since that time, I learned that I need others to like me first. So whatever performance I need to put on, whatever, uh, whatever, you know, part of me I need to just sort of kill in the interest of not being like you said it exactly tripped full-on beaten up chased around the schoolyard you know all of that it was just like every day was such a it was fourth fifth grade every day was such a and it was only because I had an accent I moved from Long Island to upstate New York I had this Long Island accent which I've since have lost probably got beaten out of me in fourth grade and uh that was it it was just like you know who do you think you are kind of thing city boy you know that whole thing yeah and um and yeah, it came down to that in that moment. And I remember feeling this like this like cool, I don't know, like soothing feeling that came over me and my hand is still hovering over it and my eyes open and I just bang, I hit the button, hit enter and sent it. And then the funny part of that story is after I'd sent it, like you can see when they read it, it's like she hasn't read it. <laughs> It's like five minutes. I'm still like watching this thing. Like, read this. She Come on, lady. Go. Ten minutes, right? Ten minutes go by. Finally, I text her. We get on the phone, and everything's good. Yeah. But it was it was an amazing moment. To your point about like what I learned in school, all those moves and everything was find. You know, who who do I need to be in this place? Who do I need to become in this new place? Like, let me feel out the area. Do I need to be sports focused? Is that what this particular school is all about? Do I need to be focused on, you know, uh, uh, being um, a little bit more of like, a, yeah, go out, have drinks or whatever. That's what, you know, my, yeah. the last school I went to, 11th, 12th grade, that's what it was about. We went to shale pits and we get drunk at 15, 16 years old. That's what you did to fit in there. So I would do that. And, uh, and it wasn't me. It just never was me. And I truly don't know that it was me until I hit probably age 40 that I, I truly started to find my authenticity. Isn't it amazing that you were able to go back to that time in fourth grade, you're 10 years old. Yeah. And that experience that you had at 10, it was pushed down so deep, but traumas that we experience, they're called adverse childhood experiences, ACEs, ACE. Um, and they, it could be anything that you're experiencing between basically birth and 18 years old that has this pervasive negative impact on you. And it could be, you know, sexual abuse. It could be bullying. It could be drug or alcoholism in the family, uh, an incarcerated parent, divorce, a death of a family member. But what happens is the more ACEs, adverse childhood experiences you encounter, the it's like 10 times more likely that kids would have health issues, that they would um, have academic issues in school, that they would drop out, that they would suffer from depression and suicidal ideations. Mm -hmm. But as children, like you don't know how to deal with that. And that's why it's so important, in my opinion, it's so important to have educators and that community feel that they can one see what the baseline is and so that's why it was must have been so tough for you because you didn't establish that moving around a lot a lot of the teachers and adults probably didn't see your baseline you know your norm how you would show up to school on a regular basis what you would normally wear what you would normally eat the kids you'd hang around with so once it goes outside of that norm a little bit that's when the educator really needs to hone in on what the fuck is going on here yeah. what does jamie need because there's something else that i need to jump in and help you out with did was there a person was there an adult in your life that you were able to confide in or say hey listen i'm really struggling here i don't know how to deal with this situation no there really wasn't um my, my parents intervened at some point. I think they went and talked to the principal or whatever, but you know, you, you know, that, that helps and hurts, right? Like, you know, sure. You know, the, 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 the bully got told, you know, that you got to stop bullying. The bully got in trouble, but when the bully gets in trouble, they just find another way to bully. Right? Oh yeah. So, yeah snitches, the, snitches get stitches. That's it. Exactly. Right. You're a rat then. And yeah, it's so tough. I, I remember I didn't have anyone to, to talk to about it. I felt like I needed to handle it by myself. I was weak if I didn't do it. And I grew up in this patriarchal household where go and kick his ass, go fuck him up. And I'm like, advice. well, fucking Frankie's in eighth grade. He's two years older than me and he has Vinny and Lou and they're gonna, like, I couldn't do that. And I just remember thinking I was less of a man, quote unquote, because I didn't stand up to kids that were older that were bullying me. Yeah, my father's advice was exactly that. Sometimes you just gotta punch somebody in the nose. They'll stop kind of thing. It's like, yeah. great. But I just, that wasn't me. It's still not me. I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a, a, I don't want to say I'm not like, I'll, I'll have a verbal confrontation. I've learned those skills. I've learned how to, you know, sort of matter of factly remove the emotion from it and have just a discussion that needs to be had. But I've never been that like, you know, 
that physical sort of uh, uh, guy, you know, like just to punch somebody like it would it would probably be like a like almost like a like a withdrawn <laughs> punch. Like I, as soon as I, my hand felt the skin, I'd probably like pull the hand. It would be back. like holding your finger over the enter button almost. You'd be like, oh, right. Exactly. It just it never felt right to me. Yeah. Like I just didn't have that in me. Like some people do. They just have that that physical way about them, whether it's maybe playing like I wouldn't play football. Right. Like it just it always felt weird to me, like to go go start hitting each other. So. um yeah, but you're no, I didn't have that 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 adult presence. There was nobody in school that I could go to. Um, there was nobody, you know, my parents were fine. But like I said, their response to that was, you know, go let the principal know, which that's fine. I mean, they're defending their child. They didn't do anything wrong there. But no, there was nobody that I could really turn to. So I did feel like I had to kind of figure this out. And I had those exact same feelings like, you know, why can't I be tough like my dad? Or why can't I, you know, uh, punch the guy like I saw in a movie or, or whatever, you know, like, why can't I be that kid? And it does. It messes with your psyche. It's like George McFly knocking Biff out in Back to the Future. You know, we're having that moment where you just, you know, make the fist. And so back to the, the idea of being in school and the education, like what lessons you learned. I'm fascinated through Building Men. You know, my journey, I explained it to you a little bit, like how Building Men started. And one thing I'm that I'm really interested in and talking to, you know, so many unbelievable men over the last, you know, couple months is what what lessons they wish they learned in school about masculinity or even you know if you had an opportunity to go back and kind of rewrite your script what do you wish school would have taught you about being a man that would you know i don't know you we talked about using the word serve or um you know something synonymous that would help you you know uh, as as an adult now yeah I, I think there's a few things and and it actually manifests and i have two boys now six and three years old and the older one is starting his education process and there's a lot of things that he's getting from that that i wish i had and even from me and my wife that i wish i had um i'll put first and foremost say man woman it doesn't matter i wish 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 the school would focus more on financial education there's just it's just it's so lacking and um that's one piece the second piece I think is, is really, and this is what my son is, is, has been, has been uh, gifted with. My sons have been gifted with is the, the parallel between masculinity and courage and that courage is emotion or can be emotion. In other words, um, my son has the, my sons, especially, I mean, I say that my son, cause the older one can communicate the younger one is not quite there yet, but has the right, the ability, and we have the desire for him to express himself, how he's feeling in that moment. If he needs a moment, if he needs time for himself, uh, if he needs to cry, if he needs to be vulnerable, all of those things are not really part and parcel with the upbringing I had as being a man. Being a man meant, you know, bury it deep. I, nope. My favorite comedian is Bill Burr. I don't know if you ever watched Bill Burr, but he is on, he's a great, great comedian. He talks about these topics like, you know, guys dropping a heart attacks at 60 because they had to bury everything really yeah. deep. And that he's jealous of women, how they could just share everything. But he was brought up not to. So same. I was brought up to, you know, you don't cry. I'll give you something to cry about, like, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, I, you know, you don't cry. You don't express yourself. You don't bring up your emotion. You just do. You know, it's it's uh, being a man had something to do with toughness and toughness had something to do with with. um I guess, suppressing emotion or suppressing your feelings. And my, my kids, my older son now, you know, we, we actually took him out. We had him doing kindergarten uh, locally in the local school, but we we're like, there's just something missing to this, to the education that he's getting and what we want him to be able to do, which is explore what he loves. He loves the solar system and he loves this and that, right? Like, how does he explore that? How does he, you know, build on that? How does he educate himself that way and brought him to uh, Acton Academy, kind of a Socratic method of teaching and uh, you know, using questions and the teacher is more of a guide than teaching. It's not sit down, learn this, take that test, answer it, you know, and you're good or you're bad. It's learn from your own, from your own, you know, desires, learn from your own passions, and then take those and intern as you get older and go build businesses and, you know, learn from other people that are doing things in the real world. So I wish I had, I wish I had license, I guess, to, to be, to be, um, be able to express how I was feeling, especially in that time when I was being bullied. I mean, it, it, I couldn't say it was more like, you know, they're wrong. There's too many of them. Like I had to, I had to come up with reasons why I couldn't be enough of a man to fight them off as opposed to expressing what I truly felt, which was I'm, I'm probably not good enough. That's why they're beating on me. Like I, I'm, you know, I, I, I didn't feel enough inside and I couldn't express that. It was more about the physical fight. That's what the the center of it was for me, because that's what I was taught. You're a man, you have to be physical, you have to fight, you have to do these things, you can't be emotional and all that stuff. I wish that was more present in my uh, in my upbringing, in my education. 
and the, the Acton Academy and Apogee, I recently talked to Matt, um, who's the, who was the founder of Apogee. And it just, it, I just, that whole mission, it's about the experience that the kids are having. It's not about this bullshit prescribed per- curriculum and schools have have been the thing that have been the most antiquated in our society for the last, they haven't really changed all that much in the last hundred years or so. They've kind of been the same and and what they're doing with Acton, I I, I mean, I totally give you credit for um, having your, your children go through that experience because it's something where they are, their voices are a part of what's going on. They have that, there's, there's a level of autonomy there that does not exist in a lot of, and I know in public education. Yeah. Public thing education I, was built on what the Rockefeller system, right? I mean, you know, the, the Rockefellers had, you know, they were, they were part of the industrial revolution. The, uh, they were teaching kids how to be, how to be, uh, uh, factory workers, right. Which makes sense at that time. And that, you know, in that particular moment, uh, in our history, that's what the jobs were, you know, ring bell, sit down, stand up, start, you know, that's the authority. That's the union leader kind of thing, right? Like that's what they were taught, but yeah, you're right. It has not evolved. I mean, I shouldn't say it hasn't, I'm sure there's some evolution, but not to the point where we are today, right? Like we're just, you know, to, to not teach our kids how to, how to be entrepreneurial, to not teach our kids how to really truly manage money or what money really means or, or any of that stuff just blows my mind or just not to give kids license to have interests. Like the fact that he needs to know, you know, uh, three X times four Y, you know, at some point versus maybe going out and interning on something that he absolutely loves doing, you know, you know, interning with Lockheed Martin on how to right. build, how to build rockets if that's what he wants to do. Like that's education. Uh, we want to go to the Dominican for a few months. My wife is from there originally. So we want to go there for two, three months. He can, you know, further learn, they can further learn Spanish. Like that's education, another culture, not sitting in a classroom and getting something regurgitated to you from a textbook. So yeah, I'm with you. My youngest uh, is in fifth grade. She'll be in the middle school next year. And I asked her what she's excited um, about going to the middle school. It's a whole new experience. They're changing classes regularly. She basically said that I don't have to walk in a line from class to class anymore. That I don't. And I just kind of sat back and I was a middle school principal for years. And you kind of take it for granted that in elementary school, the kids line up against the wall. They're quiet. They, They walk in numerical order from one place to another. And they're basically put in this box and told what they're supposed to think and how they're. And then when kids step outside of the box a little bit, they're sent down to me. They're sent out to the principal's office because they voice their opinion. They express themselves in a way that maybe didn't align with what the Rockefeller system prescribed for them. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. That's interesting. I forgot about the lines. Yeah. <laughs> the lines are a big deal in, in schools <laughs> yeah. and they would get rewarded for the quietest kid in the line. Yeah. And then there was also this group mentality, like if if the class was quiet and they did their work, then the whole class would get a reward, extra recess. But if one kid talked, the whole class got the, you know, the punishment for whatever it was. And we weren't teaching kids the idea of this, you know, managing their own self, the, the, like self-discipline. That that wasn't a part of it. The other thing that comes from school without, like if I were to create a school, I, so much of what we do, and I'm sure what you do as well, I, I listened to a couple of the podcasts that you were a guest on. You talked about one of the things that you, you're skilled at is connecting people together and being able to work in a team. And IQ is not the greatest indicator of future success. It's how you deal in social situations, especially when there's something challenging that comes up that you need to be able to navigate emotions and, and different social social situations and your role in what you're doing is you're trying to bring people together and help people to connect with one another as well. Yep. hundred percent. I a connector. It's funny. I didn't know. I didn't think of a connector as like a skill as you know, necessarily like, yeah, Hey, look, if somebody I know in, in my network has X and somebody over here that I just met or in my other network or whatever needs, needs, needs X. Well, that seems like a simple sort of bring them together thing, but I guess it's something that, uh, that many people don't think of or a lot of, not everybody just thinks of in that regard. Like, Oh, how do I, how do I best serve this person by bringing them the people in their life that they need? Uh, I was at a conference at an event and, uh, one of the guys there, wildly successful guy, I was sharing this with them about connector. And, you know, this was right around the time I'm thinking of leaving my job and, you know, well, what are your skills? Well, this is kind of what I think my, my gift is, is this ability to connect people that, that need one another. He's like, did you know that one of the four top traits of billionaires is being a connector? I had no idea. I did not know that. I don't know what the other three are, but that was one of them. That's all I needed to hear. So not that I'm going to be a billionaire, but the idea is that there's, there's a lot of value in bringing people together that need one another for whatever it may be. Just before this call, uh, we started, we were talking about your, your mission with building men. There's somebody in my network doing something very similar. And I wanted to make sure I connected him to yep. you just because I think that there's, there's uh, uh, 
he would benefit obviously from getting his message out there. You would benefit from maybe being around somebody that has a very, very similar message to the world, a very, very similar mission, mission in life. Um, so I do, I value the idea of, of bringing people together that, uh, that can, that can leverage one another, that can build community with one another to, to, uh, you know, achieve whatever it is they're trying to. And for me, I don't know, like I get, I get joy from doing that. Honestly, it just, I, I enjoy doing it, but it also, you know, at sometimes it manifests itself in like, well, okay, because of the connection you brought together, then you get a piece of the equity and the deal that you just made happen or something like that. Right. So there's true value there. But more than anything, just bringing people together and helping them sort of integrate, uh, uh, you know, what one has and complete with the other half that the other has, uh, has been uh, has been something that I've always enjoyed doing. And I'm leaning into more and more now post W2 life. You were uh, one thing that you just said that that I need to get out there. There's a poem called uh, The Bridge Builder by Will Allen Dromgul. I'll put it into the the podcast notes and I'll, I'll send you an email of it. And basically the poem is about. Um, an old man comes, you know, he's at the twilight of his life and he comes to this kind of treacherous um, river in front of him. There's a chasm in front of him and he, and he he needs to cross it. And what he decides to do is he's going to build a bridge to span the tide. And so he he understands like this is this is it for him. And so he's he's building this bridge and there's um, somebody comes along and they're like, you're a fool, old man. You're going to waste your time building this bridge at the twilight of your life, go out and live. You know, what are you wasting your time for? And he says, I'm not building this bridge for me. You know, along is coming some people in the future that will need to pass this. I'm building it for them basically is the, is the premise of this. And as you're talking, I mean, if I were going to reintroduce you at the start of the podcast, I would add in that you're a bridge builder. You know, you're, you know, maybe not in the physical sense, but you are a connector of people. You are bridging a gap that exists. You're helping people kind of walk over that bridge to meet each other. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, with uh, the Emergent Ascend program that I run with GoBundance, the, uh, just for those that aren't familiar, GoBundance is, uh, uh, requires a million plus net worth. So I'm privileged to be part of that community. And I built, uh, along with a few other folks, uh, a, 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 a course and a mastermind for those that aren't yet at that millionaire status. But the, the most fun part of that is the folks that are in that, you know, like I want to be in a, you know, a millionaire one day and I'm trying to kind of get there. The most fun part is when one guy says, hey, I uh, my goal is to acquire a dental practice. And I can say, you know what? In GoBundance, there's one guy that's just acquired five. Let me put you two together. Um, or, hey, I just pivoted to software sales. Well, hey, I know three guys that are in software sales at a high level. Let me connect you with them so this way you can get some skills or whatever the case may be. Um, I agree. Yeah, that's that's building something for them for the future. That's building something that they can, they can hopefully launch from, uh, the bridge between them for sure. Yeah, I get a lot of joy from it. So talk to us a little bit about, I'll give you a chance to kind of, um, you know, picture uh, your, those, those two programs. It's Elevate and Ascend on the way up to the GoBundance. Sure. Emer yeah, it's Emerge and Ascend. Emerge. So Emerge, Emerge is a 12-week course um, around goal setting, and it really has three specific objectives. The first is to create transformation. And, and how we do that is we give you all the tools that you need over, over the 12 weeks. There's a content drop every week, but um, early on in the course, you'll set a goal for the course, a goal that you want to achieve by the end of the 12 weeks. And you'll get the support of the community within that, as well as the support of the tools and the curriculum that you get. But the transformation is that you, whatever goal you set and, and, and seek to achieve by the end of the course, hopefully you meet it. But even if you don't, you've, you've acquired some skills and you've met some people that, that help you transform to the next version of you. So that's kind of the first objective. The primary objective is for, for it to give you transformation. The second objective we have is for you to get connected. So to your point, um, so what we do every week, we bring uh, a guy or gal with a million plus net worth, an entrepreneur in on a Tuesday evening for what we call a millionaire case study. And all the members of Emerge can jump on that call live. And I insist on any questions asked being asked live. That person gets spotlighted with the guests. So this way they can be one-on-one -on -one, just like we are on this screen and meet them, get proximity to them, ask their question, get it answered. And the folks that come and speak to the, the group are, are, you know, the, the, the content ranges anywhere from, you know, sort of motivational, inspirational mindset all the way up through very tactical. Like this is exactly how you build wealth. Right. Uh, here's the five steps or whatever the case may be. Uh, so every week our Emerge folks get that proximity and they get that, that, that ability to connect to the GoBundance brand and the members of GoBundance. And then thirdly, I'm using Emerge as sort of a filter. And what I mean by that is we have Ascend, which is the mastermind that you can join after Emerge. 
but you've got to complete a merge. And what I mean by completing a merge is you have to complete all 12 assignments in emerge before we'll invite you to ascend. In Ascend, we do group coaching. Ian is actually uh, the coach that I brought on for that. So we do group coaching. We've got a monthly call series. We just had uh, Darren Prince on, who is um, an amazing human being. He's uh, the agent for like Magic Johnson, Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, Larry Bird, uh, uh, you know Hulk Hogan, like all these legendary people. He had Evil Knievel before he passed. He's the agent for all of them. So he's very, very well connected. Um, but he also had an opiate addiction and he took, he's been 13 years sober and he took us through his story of building his business, but also the mindset shift that it took for him to not be an opiate addict uh, at this point in his life. But we have Dr. John Martini coming on in a month who, who talks a lot about uh, values, how to, how to identify your values. So we have incredible speakers in Ascend, but you have to go through a merge to join Ascend. And then once you're in Ascend, you'll have accountability pods. You'll have a lot of stuff that'll help you drive forward, including the coaching curriculum. Uh, to get to that next level. Ascend is really about four kind of steps. I talked about one of them earlier. And that is one first to illuminate whatever it is that you're working on, just sort of put it out, put light on it. Secondly is to eliminate those things that don't serve you. So you'll, your first couple of months, you're going to work on illuminating. And then after that, you're going to work on eliminating. The third step is to calibrate. So really kind of get, get lined up with whatever your purpose is and your missions and values are. And then lastly, the final step in this whole thing is to uh, accelerate. So after you've calibrated, you sort of take off and roll forward. So that's what Ascend is all about. We work deep there, but you got to get through Emerge to get there. So that's I'm point. sure one of the, the things that you see through that is not only the, you know, the, the clients going through the, the coursework, but what happens is there is this community that is established where people start feeling this connection to one another. And the journey that they're going on when they're going on it collaboratively with others that are in the same boat that are going through the same kind of challenges, that that team mentality helps strengthen everyone. There's that unified idea and I just see the value in it. That was one of the things um, as I reached out to you, I kind of did a deep dive into you know what you were into and I just that's one thing that you're creating um, community and that's I just uh, it's one of my philosophical ideals around education that you need to really create community for people to learn the best that they can they can learn it's everything and so you know the core look the course of emerge the nothing in there is new like there's no there's nothing in there that people have not heard before it's lined up well and you know we kind of we make sure that it's it's structured in a way that that folks get a lot of value out of it but the pure value the true value is nothing in the content nothing that we created in the content it's truly in the idea of being around the kinds of people that hold you accountable to executing on it, right? And that are there to hear from you. Like, you know, I, I say this often, most of our networks, the people that we're around, like your friends from high school or, or your family or whatever the case may be, they, they're, you love them, you want to be around them, but they speak to you and your conversations are more about remember when, right? Like the, it's more about the past version of you. Communities like Emerge and others, the idea is you're around people that see the future version of you. So they look talk to you in terms of imagine when, right? So that's what I love about being in a community like that. Me being in GoBundance, that's what these guys do for me. They, they, they let me see my future version of me and lean into that now. But people in my regular life, like they, they get it. They're not holding me back. But, you know, at the same time, they're just, it's like, yeah, I, I guess it just doesn't kind of make sense to me. But remember when we did this? Remember when we did that? You know, so so uh, I agree completely. Community is what it's all about. No curriculum, no content, no anything is is really good unless you've got a filtered group of people that are like minded that you can you can uh, engage with and that can help you get through whatever it is you're working on. So agree completely. And that shared experience. And I'm going to use that as a as a kind of a cheesy segue into a shared experience that we have mm -hmm. um, on January 27th of the year 1991. So I want to say you were probably in sixth or seventh grade during that time, probably sixth grade. Sixth grade, yeah. All right. Um, and uh, I was I was elated during that time, and I want to say you were probably a little bit dejected. And it was a forty-seven yard field goal oh, attempt geez. by Scott Norwood against the Giants in Super Bowl twenty-five. You're a Giants fan. I am a Giants fan. I, I am a my Giants. I was going to wear a Giants jersey today. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to I'm not going to go there. So you're you're a Bills fan, big time. And that was, I mean, I, I mean that their that team was superior to the Giants. They really sure. were. I mean, between the receiving core of with Reed and they had Thurman Thomas and Jim Kelly, they had Bruce wow. Smith. The Chiefs were better than the than the Buccaneers too, right? So absolutely. Yeah. So and they, they went on this. Uh, I mean, the journey that the Bills went on those four years. So I just, I feel 
for you during that time. I mean, now you're you're jumping around from school to school and you're a Bills fan and yeah. just heartbreak year after year. But you know what? Now they have they're ascending. I can see what's going on with that team right now. They're absolutely it's ascending. Not, it's funny, like the four years in a bubble, like that, that was that was sad enough, but the 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 20 plus years of mediocrity that followed. Like I think any Bills fan, me included, would be like, give me back four losing Super yeah. Bowls. Like, you know, as long just don't let me know that they're gonna lose, but give me back four losing Super Bowls again. Right. We would go on that run today and be happy given the the mediocrity that we've had over the last 20 yeah, years. The, but the no, two- they're back. They're I think and I hope Allen is for real and I think and this so. team is ready to go. Too many JP Lossman type years as a as the quarterback of your team. I totally I actually made that. a bold prediction. It was 04. Lossman was drafted number 24. I think Eli Manning was the first pick, right? Traded with uh, Philip Rivers, who was the fourth pick. Yep. And it was somebody else, Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger. Pick 10 that year. I remember that year because I thought this is the year. This is the Jim Kelly like year in 1983 where he and Marino and Elway and all these other guys were drafted. And I made a prediction that Lossman will be the class of that draft class he'll be the best guy in that draft class and, you know he had people already he had one decent year three thousand yards passing 20 touchdowns he did have a year where it's like here it is but this is it it fell apart shortly after. yeah so i just um it's one of those things well now i'm in that giants realm where it's been a couple of years of mediocrity but i definitely feel that, you know we're, we're definitely on the right path but it's all about coaching it's Whenever all about you the pop into a Super Bowl, though you win. That's the yeah. interesting thing, right? No matter what. Like again, same thing. Patriot teams were better than your Giant teams yes. both time. I, I would time. say every every um, Super Bowl the Giants won, they were not the better team going into the game. That's true, and uh, yeah, it's funny. And and you know, honestly, I, I I can't say I can't say like because of the Bills losing to the Giants that like ah the Giants or whatever because you beat the Patriots. Who any Bills fan, any self respecting Bills fan, loathes contemptuously. You beat them twice yes. in the Super Bowl. We're, Stop we're, the undefeated season. Giants, right? Giant fan. Yes, exactly. We're, we're. I think most Bills fans are like uh, uh, NFC Giant fans. You know, if we had to pick an NFC team, it's the right. Giants. So we'll allow it. So, having said that, I, I mean, I just think about coaching and just the similarities between having a coach. I, I just coaching is everything. And so, what you're right. doing, you're coaching. Uh, most most of the people in the program is it men is it women what um you know yeah it ended up being so it's open to men and women but okay. uh, the first ascend group ended up being all men so okay. it is all men right now and so you see the value in that coaching and so i'm going to pull something out of uh I, I follow along with your journey on instagram and you have a lot of really inspirational quotes on instagram um i'm just going to read um read one or two out to you uh right now um that quotes that you put out they weren't uh, attributed to you they were from a coach in your yes. life that really helped you along your Why journey yeah. and so maybe maybe um you know after i read the quote you could give us a little backstory so the first one is put yourself uh, uh pat yourself on the back and say you are one bad bitch yeah tell us a little bit about that quote jamie <laughs> so, so you're referring to my spin instructors <laughs> so i go to a spin uh studio locally it's kind of like a soul cycle and uh uh Often there are 20, 25 people in the room and I'm the only dude. So it started with, you know, that the, 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 the quote started with like, they don't even know I'm here. They would say comments like that or like, yes, girls or something like that. It was always like women centric. So that was one of them that when she said it, I'm like, I guess I'm a bad bitch. I usually put a hashtag underneath it of some sort. Oh, it's they're so good. You like it's like <laughs> emasculated. And the, the second quote that I pulled was you have to do it yourself. I can't turn your knob for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the the what started as only dude and spin class type of quotes, like you know, after a while, like there's only so many times that they're gonna that they're gonna ignore that I'm the only dude there. They're you know, like so it turned into like as I would hear things and being again a 12 year old still mentally and oh in absolutely, so many ways, I would hear these little like you know innuendo quotes. In fact, at one point, I, my hand, handle was at spinuendos because it was it was oh, yeah. it was all this but yeah like uh uh don't touch your knob what's another one uh i want you to tap it tap it <laughs> yeah you gotta go deeper pull you know you gotta go deeper um what's you're like listen one? i'm i'm as I'm, I'm as deep as i can go there was one right, what else right. You want there was here? one like um uh <laughs> i need you to get it real thick if it's not thick enough turn it to the right like that's like, is that how that works? I, that's how apparently it works. I didn't know that. But if you turn it to the right, it'll get thicker. Um, talk about yeah, shit that, that they should have taught us in school, right? Exactly. My exactly. God, we could have been. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, that those, those awesome. quotes are fun. Actually, I have. So I, it, it's funny. In the pandemic, I had like 
like sometimes they give like three, four, five quotes in a class that I jot down in like a notes app. So I've got like 50 I haven't done yet, like that are just kind of sitting oh, there. Wow. I kind of hold them in reserve. I, I released them through the pandemic a little bit, but I have, I have one more from the other day that I got to put. I don't even remember what it was, but I know I wrote down two and I only put one out. Well, there. are they, are they uh, kind of, are they yeah. catching on to what you're doing now? Are they just feeding 100%. you layups? They're not. 100%. Okay. No, no, they don't. So that's, that's the thing. It's actually forced me to level up my game. So uh, two, two or three of them follow me now on Instagram and they, they know what I'm up to. Like one of them, when I walked, they actually put the quote out there. Cause I walked in, she's like, Oh, you're Jamie, right? Like, like, I think I put like hashtag, you know, menacing tone or something like that. Um, so they know, but, but it's forced me to really like level up with what I hear and how I leverage it or whatever. Cause they, they know I'm in the room. I don't think they're trying to give me stuff, but, and sometimes to be honest, there's some poetic license on a few of them. Like there might be like, like 80% of it was said here. And then this one little extra line was like two, three lines later. And it was just funnier to mash them together. Right. So some of them have a little poetic license, but no, yeah, they know they're onto me. They're onto me for sure. Yeah. So when they're like, you got to go hard for an hour, yeah. you're like, come on, I got 10 minutes tops. Um, <laughs> some, some of my, I just can't post like one of it's, yeah, I, I just, they're like, they're, they're, they'd be, you know, edited for TV. Some of them are just too good. Uh, you know, I don't know too good. I can't even think of one right now, but some of them are just ridiculous. So the one podcast that I listened to you, um, you were interviewed on, you talked about one of your bucket list things was you wanted to do some stand up comedy. And so you did that. You kind of created a like a, a five minute set and did some stand up comedy. Tell us a little bit about that. How that was. What kind of? How did you get to the point where you're like, I'm gonna put myself out here and get up on stage and try to make people laugh? That must have been terrifying. Uh, it's funny. Yeah. So so I I always had this dream. And actually, I talk about like 25 years old. Like what I didn't do. That was it. Yeah. Like I had this goal of like I had a, a cousin of mine lived in in L. A. He was an actor. He was on a show called Power on Stars. Um. So I, I was, I was, I was going to make that move at 25, but at that point I was, you know, I had a good job and I, I can't make that move at 25 and then 30 kind of crept up again. I, I can't do that. That's kind of, that's what I was talking about. So around 34, 35, again, kind of the beginnings of me starting to think like, you know, there's one life I gotta, you know, I gotta manage it the right way. I said, you know what? I've always wanted to do this. I, I, it's my new year's resolution. I'm going to do it this year. And yeah, I wrote down some stuff and I, stuff I had been thinking about mostly related to like, I'm in a, in, uh, an, uh, an interracial marriage with my wife and just the funny part about me being just this like beaming white, like glowing white dude with this, you know, this family of folks that have this beautiful, like, you know, sun kissed tan, right. you know, like just the dichotomy of that. I would do a bunch of jokes about that. And, um, uh, yeah, I wrote down five minutes. I found a club in Boston uh, that that let you bring two people and then get up on stage. And you had to sit backstage. And I think I was like 14th or 15th on the list of, of people to go up. And it's funny, just before my time, they bumped me one spot because this dude came in to practice. He was like a, a, a fairly well-known com comedian locally to practice the final practice for his set for uh, like, like, you know, Comedy Central Presents or something like that. Like that. So like all the people before me were awful. Like I was like, they're just like, they're new to comedy. Yeah. They're open mics and they just go out. There's like one funny thing and the rest is bad. And I'm like, all right, my turn. I'm, you know, and then they're like, no, hey, this guy's going to go. He's got his five minutes. So he goes up there and just crushes oh. the room. Even at the five minute mark, he goes to the host like, Hey, mind if I go another five? She's like, go for it. So he kills <laughs> just a scrub like, back here. No big deal. Minutes. Right. And then finally I go out and it, it's funny. Like I was nervous, nervous, nervous. I didn't eat all day. I didn't drink anything all day. Like it was like eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night now on like a Sunday. And I finally get up there. And the moment I was up there, it was like, it all went away. I, I felt fine. I yeah. felt perfectly comfortable being up there. Um, and it went well. The first, first half of it was good. Like, cause I, I, there was a cadence to it. Second half of it, it was like, I took a way too long to, to, to like hit the, hit the punchline. So it got a little, a little uh, drawn out, but it was great. And I thought, man, I could do this. The next one I did was at like a bar and I brought my wife and a friend of mine. And I remember there was a dude playing guitar like on stage and they go, oh, they might be like, they're doing like little intros, like little music when you yeah. come up on stage or whatever. But then like quickly I realized like, well, okay, this dude's going up on stage and the guy's just playing guitar through his whole set. Everybody else there was there for open mics. There was nobody there to come watch you. Like the other show at a real comedy club, they were all like in their own heads and so I go up there and the dude's like playing guitar. The microphone's broken. I'm just like trying to get through this set. No <laughs> one's laughing. It was just, it was awful. And I just repeatedly did that for another 10 or 12 times before finally calling it a day. But yeah, terrifying before, but once I, once I broke it and went up on stage, it was actually, actually very comfortable. I don't know. 
And it's one of those things where once you're able to get out of your own way and take the risk, take the leap, take the, I'm sure that experience served you so well in other interactions that you had. Cause you're like, you know what? I did it. I was able to do it. I didn't die. I was able to, to figure it out and it, it, I'm okay it let me, yeah, it honestly let me, um, it, it was the beginnings of saying, wow, I can do more than I think I can. You know, I can do more than I think I can. It was yep. the beginning of, of probably the journey of personal development I've been on for the last five, six years. And it's it's almost like you're going into your first major league baseball game. You're a relief pitcher. And Joe Torrey's like, you know what? We're going to let Mariano Rivera pitch the eighth. And you're going to come in in the ninth inning to close the door. Exactly. What the fuck, Joe? Exactly. Give yep, me a break exactly. here. You got the greatest. So I want to kind of bring it all the way back to my initial question to you and kind of let you lead us out. Um, you know, in that Jerry Maguire moment where he he gives in his manifest, he, you know, his mission statement, and he's yeah. in the car and Tom Petty's on, he's singing Free Fallen. And that's kind of what you were doing at two different points in your life. You had that drive to Florida and you had another drive at, at, a, at a later point in your life where you're like, I need to reimagine what I'm doing. Just walk us through that, you know, that that second drive that you did and um, what you learned about yourself. In yeah, that, that, was, that, moment. Was that. that was on my 40th birthday. So uh, two, three years ago. And um, I was driving back from an event, uh, like a, a personal development retreat, if you will. And we went through this exercise of, of, um, of uh, you know, sort of allowing the rest of the room to reflect on you after having been with you all weekend. So, you know, you go to these retreats, it's always like, you know, everybody's connecting and having a great time and really bonding and getting deep. And after the three, four days at the end of it, we had this sort of emotional ceremony where we, where we, where we asked others to define what they, who I am from their perspective. Right. So they would use all these words. They would just write, they would just say these words to you. Like you are this, you are this, you are this, you are this. And it was just maybe the way it was set up, the emotion of it. There was like music playing. It was more done like in a whisper, eyes are closed, like this whole thing. There were a few words that were said that really struck me uh, that I never thought of myself as. It was words like gritty, words like handsome, words like uh, accomplished or whatever the case may be. And on the drive back from that, I drove from, it was in uh, Montreal. I drove from Montreal back to Michigan. So like 15 hours or whatever it may be. Um, on the drive back, yeah, I, I started playing this song, Secrets by One Republic. And I don't know why I kept repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating. And I think it repeated for like five hours, something like that. That same song just kept going and going and going. And I was thinking about these words and reflecting on my life and thinking about, you know, like, wow, that's how they see me. This is how I've always seen me. And at this point, I had done a lot of work with a coach. I was being coached by Ian Lobos, who you mentioned with the Building Men podcast. Or I'm sorry, with the uh, uh, Men on Purpose podcast. Um so I had been coaching with him. I had been in personal development. I've been really kind of trying to get down to who I am, the root of me. And between what all of those folks' impression of me was and, and me reflecting inwardly on, you know, how do they see that, but I can't see it. All of that kind of culminated with these words. I need another story, something to uh, get off my chest. You know, like this, this, these words in this song, like we're just repeating, repeating, repeating. And it hit me as like, man, I, I've... I'm just now finding who I am. I'm just now in this moment on this drive at 40 years old, on my 40th birthday, October 1st, uh, understanding, you know, who I truly am. And that is somebody that is, it's my affirmations. Uh, you know, I, I'm an amazing father. I'm a devoted husband. I'm a high achiever. I'm smart. I'm driven. I'm inspiring. I'm handsome. I'm confident. I'm a millionaire. Those are my, my, my affirmations that I put out every day for myself to, to sort of remind myself of who I truly am and the things that make up me. Because prior to that, it was I'm not enough. I'm stupid. Yep. I'm you know I'm 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 ugly. I'm not worth it. How did my wife marry me? Right, like all of that stuff. And it's not that it's gone. Like I definitely have things that I'm trying to I'm trying to uh, uh, still improve upon with that. But I learned in that moment who I truly was. I've learned since then to deploy tactics like affirmations to kind of reaffirm who I am. And more than that, I've learned and not un unknowingly until this. Darren Prince, the guy that I mentioned, that's the agent for Magic Johnson that went through the opioid uh, addiction. He made this point that he he went through all of that because at the end of the day, he's in the room with Magic and Muhammad Ali or whatever, but he feels like that 12-year-old kid still that is, you know, like, how am I super agent Darren Prince? I'm still this 12-year-old insecure kid. Like, everyone looks at me a certain way, but I'm not that way. Um, I learned from him that, you know, his way of becoming confident within himself is just by adding value and giving. So that's something that I've done and not realizing that that's added a lot of value to me and it's, and it's helped redefine who I am. So 
It's like the Tony Robbins statement. You change your story, you change your life. It's, it's not that I'm not good enough. It's you were, you basically changed your story and, and that drive that there's just something to be said about that. And some of the lyrics that I pulled from that song, the song secrets don't need another perfect lie. Don't care if critics ever jump in line. I'm going to give all my secrets away. And it's basically like, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to be the authentic me. I don't give a shit what other people think about. I know inside who I am, what I'm capable of, what my value is. And now you've been able to share that with so many people right now, Jamie. I truly appreciate you coming on to the Building Men podcast. Let us know how we can we can find you, your mission, all of the programs that you're working with right now. Yeah, you can go to my website, jamiegruber.com. That uh, that has all of the, uh, the different... Um uh, social media handles right now. I've been mostly active on Instagram. So at Jamie Gruber, uh, at the Jamie Gruber, excuse me, on Instagram is probably the best place on social to find me right now. So I'll put all of that into the, um, into the show notes. I'll post all of this on Instagram for people to follow along. So Jamie, you are gritty. You are a handsome man. You are a bridge builder. Um, and now I'm going to call you one of my friends. I really appreciate you being on the building men podcast. Thanks so much for, uh, for listening everyone. And we'll see you next time on building men. <laughs> Thank you.